Hello, friends, and welcome to the PrepWell podcast. I'm your host, Phil Black. And if you have an 8th, ninth, or 10th grader with big aspirations, like the Ivy League or military service academies like West Point, ROTC, or athletic scholarships, boom, you've come to the right place. My specialty, my superpower, if you will, is preparing families for these competitive programs. I'll teach you what your child should do, when they should do it, and how you can help. So stick around and prepare to out-prepare. Hello, friends, and welcome to the PrepWell podcast. Since it's a new year, I thought I'd kick off this episode with a rundown of some of the most common questions from last year that I've been getting from students, parents, emails, office hours, DMs, you name it. There have been so many moving pieces and parts over the last few months that some answers from a few months ago have since changed, and I'll try to highlight some of those changes as we roll through these questions. So let's get right to the questions. Let's start out with number one. Should I worry about the SAT or ACT anymore? Yes, please worry about them. Worry about them even more than before if you want to differentiate yourself. And by worry, what I really mean is prepare for them. Don't stress out about it. Get ready for it. As tempting as it is, if you want to take the easy road, and you're looking for ways to get out of studying or preparing for these tests, then you're thinking about it the wrong way. It's as simple as that. And just for the people out there who may not understand where this question even originates from, when COVID hit last March, it prevented many, I would even say most juniors, from taking the tests for months. And as you can imagine, that freaked out a lot of people, as it should have. People understood, and I would say, understand how important these tests are, and everybody gasped when they found out they couldn't take it or that it would be delayed for months. Now, for prep wellers, they had already taken it by March, so if they were following the program, they'd be okay, but most people do not. So most colleges responded by changing their standardized test policy from required to test optional, meaning you no longer had to submit a test score. And the colleges claimed that in no way would it affect your admissions chances. We'll talk about that separately. And thus the debate ensued about whether the SAT and the ACT are officially dead and they will never come back. I addressed this issue at length in episode 51. So if you want a more comprehensive answer, please refer back to that. But the short answer is yes. Worry about it. Prepare for it create a study plan, and perform well on it. In fact, it might be more important now than before. Next question. I just got my PSAT score back, and I got an 1190. What do I do now? Well, that all depends on several factors. What did you expect to get? Did you prepare at all? How did you think you performed on the test? And what are your goals? This score could represent a home run for one student and a misbubbling disaster for another. What a PSAT score is intended to do, among other things, is to be a signal for where you are right now and where you should point yourself. Because up until now, you know how well you've done in class. Are you an A student, a B student, a C student? But you haven't really been pushed on a timed, high-pressure, 
standardized test like this. I like to think of your PSAT score as a catalyst for action. Your score can give you a general idea of what types of colleges you should be thinking about. So unless you're an athlete or you have some other type of specialized skill or hook or story, an 1190 on the PSAT is not exactly screaming Ivy League. Now, before anyone loses their mind, this is not to say that if you got an 1190 on that PSAT that you have no chance of getting into an Ivy. You don't have zero chance, but the chances are not good. Now, if you've always seen yourself as an Ivy League type caliber student up until now, and by the way, when I say Ivy League, I don't literally mean only the eight Ivy League schools, but rather any school and say the top 20 or 25 schools, and this is a wake-up call for you, great. Maybe this will motivate you to study extra hard for the real SAT. That's why I like to think of it as a catalyst. It gives you a general impression of where you stand, and now you have the opportunity to do something about it. I know many prep wellers, including my own sons, who improved their PSAT score by well over 200 points. And that type of improvement, starting out with, a, with an 1190, could put you in the 1400 zone, which becomes a little bit more aligned with the median SAT score for some of those top schools. So use this score as a tool to assess where you are right now in terms of a raw PSAT score, where you want to go, and how hard you want to work. And by the way, if you're looking for a world-class tutoring option, please reach out to me and I'll put you in touch with our SAT and ACT prep partners. Next question. I keep getting pieces of mail inviting me to various leadership conferences. They come on nice paper, with fancy letterhead, gold lettering, embossed. Should I consider going to any of these? Well, I'd have to see the actual letter to give a definitive answer, but the short answer is no. I probably wouldn't waste my time. Eight times out of ten, this is probably a letter from the sponsoring group that bought your name and address based on information that you filled out on your PSAT or some other standardized test that was mailed to thousands, if not tens of thousands of students, and it doesn't really mean that much. I know it's tempting to be flattered and to think that you've been handpicked by a selection committee who's searching for the best and brightest. Probably not. They bought the mailing list. They auto-inserted your name, and now they're hoping to get some people to take the bait. Now, to be fair, it may not be a complete waste of time to attend one of these events. I would suggest that there are two conditions that might make something like this worthwhile. Number one, your family's rich, and the fee and the travel expenses wouldn't even register for your family because you're wealthy. And two, you have absolutely nothing else going on and would likely not do anything else if you didn't go. In other words, it might be worth it if money is no object, and the alternative would be to sit at home and do nothing. Something is almost always better than nothing. However, I would much rather see you put the time and the money and the energy into something else, something that you care about, something that aligns with your values, something that you can stick with for a few years, maybe an organization that you could actually lead someday, something that related to your interests or major or career goals. Next question. I want to be an engineer. Any advice? Yes, plenty of advice. 
do stuff that a budding engineer would do. Now, keep in mind, engineering is a big field. So you should do things that will help you narrow down what type of engineering you might be interested in. What you don't want to do is to simply convince yourself that you want to be an engineer because you're good at math or your mom's an engineer or your teacher told you that you can make a lot of money as an engineer, but not do anything to prove that theory of yours. You should be doing things that evidence your interest in engineering other than just saying it. This could mean ordering a do-it-yourself drone kit from Amazon and building it and flying it, buying an old car and restoring it, taking an online class in chemical engineering, building your own iPhone app, working as an electrician's apprentice, working on a construction site. There are countless creative ways to demonstrate that you actually have an interest in different aspects of engineering. And many of these can be done from home with social distancing and such. So if you want to be an engineer, my advice to you is to show me, not tell me. Next question. How big a deal is it for colleges if they see that my child switched schools? Does it look bad? I've been feeling a lot of calls like this from families, wondering if there's any stigma attached to moving schools, either at the end of the year or even mid-year. The pandemic and the shutdown has certainly pushed more and more families to consider whether or not their children are in the right spot for them. Maybe that's the silver lining of this. Because some schools are 100% online, some are 100% in person, some are hybrid. Some schools were well prepared to teach virtually, others were not. So I think the short answer is no. The fact that your child moves schools during the pandemic should not have a negative connotation. I don't think it's always been that way, but in this case, I don't think there's going to be a, it's going to be a major factor. In fact, you may be able to turn a transition like this into a very positive story. In a weird way, this nearly year-long pandemic so far has provided families with some cover for doing things that in normal times might have been seen as a little bit more disruptive. I've heard that based on the unprecedented nature of the pandemic, that college admissions officers are being a little bit more forgiving, a little bit more lenient when they see school changes or grade fluctuations, even less impressive extracurricular activities, because they realize that we're not in Kansas anymore and the landscape has changed. And hopefully that's a good thing and that such changes won't lead to as much stress and anxiety. Question, I just got my first B on my transcript. Do I have to take all the Ivy League schools off my target list of schools? Answer is no, especially these days. As I mentioned a couple questions ago, uh, the question about moving schools and is there a stigma here? The idea of maintaining the quote perfect application, it's gone out the window. You know, the whole educational system, dare I say the whole world as we know it, has been so disrupted that a single B on your transcript will not stick out as much as it used to. And hopefully that's a good thing. So no, all is not lost if you have a B on your transcript. That doesn't mean that you take your foot off the gas pedal or get lazy or complacent. But it does mean that there's a little more slack in the system because of the turmoil that most of us have been living with. But continue to pursue excellence in all that you do. Understanding that sometimes forces out of your control can jam things up. And if you're able to fight through a lot of this turbulence, 
and you still end up on top, you're going to get even extra credit more than you would normally in years past. So keep getting after it. Next question. What's the best way to use my summers? We've gone over this before. I'm going to repeat it here. Summers are critical. I talk to students all the time who enter their senior year and they open up the Common App and they find 10 open slots that they must fill with extracurricular activities. And they confidently and proudly start entering their activities. Number one, varsity soccer, boom. Two, vice president of the Spanish club, cooking with gas. Number three, yearbook committee. Number four, volunteer work. And then there's a long pause and they draw a blank. And I ask them, okay, anything else? And they basically say, no, that's it. Varsity and club soccer was six days a week. And I volunteered on the weekends and I took a lot of AP classes. I had no time to do anything else. And then I ask them, well, what about the last three summers? Which is then followed by another long, awkward pause. Because many students are not intentional about their summers and they end up not doing much of any significance. Well, this does not go over well with college admissions officers. Not only do you have to leave six extracurricular slots blank, but the admissions reader can't help but wonder why you didn't do anything of note over the summers. The summer is the time where you actually have time to pursue things that interest you, that energize you, that show what you value, whether that's travel or work or exercise or academics or camp counseling or anything else. So please use your summers wisely. Come up with a plan in ninth grade and try to cover several bases. Travel, maybe even international travel, work, internships, shadowing, volunteering, academic pursuits, you name it. Next question. I know a kid from my school who has a lower GPA, a lower SAT score, and wasn't very involved in school clubs, and he got into a college that I got rejected from. What gives? This is a tough one. And mind you, things are going to get a lot worse in this department in March when the regular decisions come back. And while I know it's tempting and human nature to compare yourself to others, it's often a recipe for frustration, especially when it comes to college admissions. Because there are so many factors that could account for this alleged inequity. For one, you probably don't know the student's full profile. You may have an impression of how she was in class or he was in class or heard rumors of his or her SAT or their involvement or lack thereof in school activities, but you don't know the whole truth. Who knows? Maybe the student was a world-class online poker player. Maybe they ran a multi-million dollar online jewelry business. Maybe their parents went to that college. Maybe her parents can pay full freight and yours needed max financial aid. Maybe he or she wrote incredible essays. Maybe they want a major in medieval history, a major that the college really needs to fill. Maybe they had letters of recommendation to die for. The point is, you just don't know. And guess what? Maybe he or she just got lucky. So please, worry about what you can control. Spend your energy working on your applications and essays and body of work. And try not to get too bent out of shape when you hear about this story or that story, about this student or that student, you probably aren't hearing the full story. 
Next question. Are colleges assessing candidates differently in a world dominated by COVID? Probably. I think it would be hard not to consider the impact of COVID in this process. I'm not sure how long this will last, but my guess is that this year's seniors, the 2021s, and juniors, 2022s, will be thought of as COVID cohorts, and they will be looked at a little bit differently. Time will tell what this means in the admissions process, who gets in, who doesn't get in, but here are my thoughts. I think there will be a lot more forgiveness when it comes to applications, as we talked about. Most schools are not requiring SAT or ACT scores this year. Next year may be different. I think the expectations for extracurricular activities and leadership positions may not be quite as high during these two cycles. And AP scores and SAT subject scores will probably hold less weight for now. But with that said, I would not use this as an excuse to do anything less than your very best work. Because on the flip side, if you do make it through these two admission cycles intact and you continue to perform on standardized tests and you continue to find leadership opportunities by getting creative and you continue to get high grades, I think you will get outsized credit for doing all of those things under these circumstances. This is an opportunity. It's an opportunity that does not come around that often. In fact, it's an opportunity for you to move yourself from relative obscurity to relative strength. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean that in the pre-COVID era, you were a strong performer, but not a standout performer. And you kind of looked like every other strong performer. And by doing well, despite the COVID hangover, you could potentially launch yourself into the standout performer category, the student that they pay attention to. In fact, COVID might be exactly what you were looking for to differentiate yourself from the sea of sameness. Because I can tell you, a lot of kids are shutting it down. They're giving up. They're getting complacent. They're getting lazy during COVID. If you resist that temptation and you go the other way and you show that you can shine during adversity, it could be just what the doctor ordered. Question. I'd really like to get some work experience, but everything's shut down. What are my options? Okay, for one, make sure that you're not just assuming that there are no jobs out there. There are some students out there, I think, who are using COVID as an excuse to do nothing without even checking, without even looking to see if there's anything out there. So make sure you look first. I have a lot of prep wellers who are working in the food delivery service. They're working construction and lifeguarding and doing various online jobs. You should also consider using the web to help you make money and gain experience from home. There are online opportunities to design your own products on websites like Cafe Press and Redbubble, where you can print your own designs on t-shirts and mugs and buttons and stickers. You could do online tutoring, maybe even use your parents' Facebook account to advertise. You could go to Fiverr, that's Fiverr, F-I-V-E-R-R, -R, and get paid money to transcribe videos or audio projects. You could go into your closet and start selling your clothes on sites like Poshmark. You could teach online exercise classes. You could look for customer service rep jobs that you can do from home. If you're motivated and resourceful and creative, you can make it happen. And by the way, not only might you make some money and develop some new skills that you didn't think you had, 
but you'll get a ton of credit from colleges for making the best of a tough situation. Question. I want to go to a service academy like West Point. What should my priorities be? Anybody who aspires to go to a service academy, and just as a review, the service academies are West Point, Naval Academy, Air Force Academy, Coast Guard Academy, and Merchant Marine Academy, or earn an ROTC scholarship, should prioritize three things. Number one, academics. Number two, athletics. Number three, leadership. Your academics are, of course, the types of classes you take, the grades you get, and your SAT score. Athletics is all about what kind of sports or other activities you do that will show the selection boards that you'll be able to handle the tough physical demands of these programs. And three, what kind of leadership potential do you have? After all, this is a path that leads to becoming a military officer, at least in the short and medium term. So do things that will convince the selection boards that you care about leadership and that you have the potential to do well in a leadership role. All right, last question. What trends are you seeing, good or bad, in your private students? Well, I'm just about wrapping up work with my private prep wellers this year, a group that happens to include my twin sons. And most all of them have submitted their applications. Many have gotten in early to their dream schools. Some have been deferred. And of course, most of them now are entering the waiting game to hear back about regular decisions in a few months. So here are the two big trends that I've been seeing based on these very close relationships. The first one will not be a shock. I think early engagement is the number one predictor of success. That's what I've seen as the trend, not only of where students get in, but in the whole experience. The further ahead you are in the process, the more you take control of deadlines and tasks, the better off you're going to be. I've seen it time and time again. What do I mean by engagement? Watching your weekly PrepWell videos, filling out your PrepWell journal on time, talking to your parents and teachers about important topics that we bring up every week, signing up for office hours and talking with me, sending me questions by email, by phone, or text me. Basically, demonstrating that you care about the process and that you want to do your best work early. That has been the biggest trend and the biggest and best predictor of success. Now, on the flip side, the most disappointing trend is just the opposite. It's procrastination. Not watching the videos, not filling out your journal, waiting too long to do things. It's a killer. I'll give you one very specific example, which happens to be a pet peeve of mine. When you become a senior and you are faced with writing college essays, the last thing you want to do is wait until the last few days or even day before they're due. There's too much pressure. There's no way you can do your best work. And it doesn't give me enough time to provide useful feedback or to outline or brainstorm. This is especially true with supplemental essays. For those of you who might not know what that is, the supplemental essays are the essays that colleges will ask specifically about their school. In a nutshell, the school will ask you to write an essay about why you want to go to their particular school. And for some reason, a lot of students spend very little time on this question. I'm not sure why. 
it might be the most important piece of writing in your entire application. They want to know why you want to go to their school. And they're looking for details. They're looking for evidence that you are serious and that you've done your due diligence, you've done your homework. And many times, I see the same generic essay that says, I want to go to XYZ College because it's in a college town, and I want to be surrounded by other motivated students, and I want to have a broad-based liberal education, and I want to study overseas. These are the same things that 90% of colleges offer. And it might show that, one, you couldn't find anything all that specific that you liked about the school. That would not be great. Or two, you didn't bother to look, or you didn't bother to do the work, or you waited too long. You didn't find anything that was cool or unique or fun, and that's not great either. So please don't do that. Spend disproportionate time on the supplemental essays early in the game. Convince them that you know the school inside and out, and that you would likely, if not definitely, attend if admitted. That's all I've got for you today, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for the support. If you know a parent with an 8th grader, ninth grader, 10th grader, 11th grader, or senior in high school that might find this helpful, please share this episode with them. You can do that a couple ways. One way is by finding that small box with a tiny arrow pointing up. That's the share button. Click that button. Text your friends the link to this episode. Write them a little note. If you have questions, comments, or an idea for an upcoming episode, please reach out to me by email. Direct message me on Instagram. Check out our blog, Facebook, connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love to hear from you. Until next week, goodbye, good luck, and never stop preparing. This podcast is brought to you by PrepWell Academy. PrepWell Academy is my one-of-a-kind online mentoring program that delivers to your ninth or 10th grader a short, highly relevant video from me every week, every Sunday, in fact, where I give them a heads up about what they should be thinking about to stay ahead of the game. To get these valuable lessons into your child's hands, please head over to prepwellacademy.com and enroll your child today.